Well, God bless you. Good to see everyone this morning. And let me just mention a couple things by way of announcements before we begin, most of which you can find in your bulletin this morning. And so you can pick it up and get those announcements. I do want to emphasize a couple of things. Today, we are having a church lunch. And so if you haven't prepared for anything, that's fine because we have tons of food. That's just part of what being a Baptist is. You have extra food. So be my guest, come join us, Fellowship Hall, and you can stop in and just grab a quick bite to eat and say hello, and I do encourage you to mill about and mix about. I don't know if we're going to get the rain uh, today or not. We'll just have to see and deal with that, um, but it's dry inside, so um, join us for Fellowship Lunch right after our worship service this morning. Uh, also, we got a note from... AIT, which they regularly do send us a note of thanks for your this month, hence all the flags, missions. And if you want to participate in a special missions in July, offer you to do so with uh, an offering box in the back, and you can just designate on your offering either in an envelope or on a check that this is for missions, and it'll go 100% to missions. Uh, and by the way, we'll be hearing from, I think we have two more missionaries that we'll hear from in the month of August, this next week, uh, and, and then in two weeks, another. And I'll have a special message on missions. But anyway, we, we begin online at uh, 6.30, and we've, um, uh, we'll begin with prayer, and then we'll introduce our missionary at 6.45 on Wednesdays. And so I'll send out the email on that as well. And if you aren't able to log in through a computer, you can also do it uh, with a phone and call directly in. All of that I'll send you out by email. And I appreciate your participation in it thus far, and I'm going to encourage you to do so. So we begin our service. We've been reading through the life of Christ, and today's reading comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 40 through 52. Matthew 2, 40 through 52, Blake will come and lead us in our reading of Christ. I've been enjoying our call to worships uh, and looking at the life of Christ. And as Pastor mentioned, we'll be looking at Matthew 2, starting in verse 40. Matthew 2, verse 40. I don't see it in there. I think um, I looked at Luke. Was that, I looked at Luke before. Was, is it supposed to be Luke? Okay. All right. Throw a curveball at me. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. <laughs> well, I'm scrambling here for a second, but uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 40 through 52. We'll finish out the, <laughs> well, you know, trying to, trying to keep it flowing here. All right, let's get started. Verse 40. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to a custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, 
they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Thank you, Blake. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I want to give you a moment privately to prepare your heart to worship Christ. Think on Christ as you pray and prepare your heart. Confess your sin. Recognize he's faithful and just to forgive your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Take a moment to prepare your heart privately, and then I'll pray for us corporately. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, what a credible blessing it is for us to be able to gather together as your people to worship your holy name. The fact that you're mindful of us and give us any recognition at all and any response is just overwhelming. And the fact that you would send the Son to take on human flesh, to be, to born, be born, and then to live among us in all the stages of life to grow through them, to experience all of them, and to um, know what it is to truly walk in our shoes. And beyond that, to receive uh, suffering beyond what we could imagine to the very nth degree. So that you could be a great high priest who would know our very experiences and beyond them, triumph over them. I pray that we would recognize that truly about Christ our Lord and, and all that um, you have done for us in Christ and the empathy that you have for us in knowing truly our frame and our way, but granting to us eternal life, and not just a place to live forever, but to be in true communion with you. We desire that for today, Lord, that you would be among us, your people, as we worship you in song, in prayer, in praise to you, in the proclamation of your word, and in the understanding and receiving the significance of it. I pray that you would send your spirit in a powerful way that we may indeed be able to hear the words of Jesus Christ today. I pray if there's any that, uh, that is wavered here in the faith that you would bring them to the path of life, straight and narrow. 
I pray, Father, for anyone that is outside of the faith, whether they're here hearing this voice or, or receiving it communicated abroad. I pray, Father, that you will bring life even now. Cause many to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. And as we learn more about Christ, I pray we would be increasingly satisfied in him, in our union with Christ, and our fellowship with one another, and our prayers that you will actually hear and um, will accomplish what you will. I pray that your word, as it goes forth, indeed, will achieve its intended accomplishment, and may it be the salvation and the sanctification of many. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, let's take our hymn books and stand and turn to number 593. I lay my sins on Jesus, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. I lay my sins on Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, 593. I lay And can it be? But God proves his own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5 8. 250. And can it be?
question of 152. 152, no, not one. I no longer call you servants. I have called you friends. John 15, 15. I'll sing the first, fourth, and fifth verses of no, not one. 152. One, four, and five. Good morning, church. This morning's scripture reading is from Psalm 119, verses 129 through 160, which you'll find on page 515 of your pew Bible. Starting on verse 129, your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant because I long for your commandments. Turn to me and be gracious to me, as is your way with those who love your name. Keep steady my steps according to your promise, and let no iniquity get dominion over me. Redeem me from man's oppression that I may keep your precepts. Make your face shine upon your servant and teach me your statutes. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law. Righteous are you, O Lord, and right are your rules. You have appointed your testimonies in righteousness and in all faithfulness. My zeal consumes me because my foes forget your words. Your promise is well tried, and your servant loves it. I am small and despised, yet I do not forget your precepts. Your righteousness is righteous forever. 
and your law is true. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. Your testimonies are righteous forever. Give me understanding that I may live. With my whole heart I cry, answer me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I call to you, save me, that I may observe your testimonies. I rise before dawn and cry for help. I hope in your words. My eyes are awake before the watches of the night, that I may meditate on your promise. Hear my voice according to your steadfast love. O Lord, according to your justice, give me life. They draw near who persecute me with evil purpose. They are far from your law, but you are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are true. Long have I known from your testimonies that you have founded them forever. Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I look at the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands. Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your holy word, which teaches us your precepts. Truly, the sum of your word is truth. Father, during the sermon to come, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and and open our eyes to help us to understand and see the glory and beauty of your word. That we could receive the truth of your word and that you would give us the faith and strength to obey it. Father, we pray for the this day's offering, that you would use it for the needs of your saints and the building up of your kingdom through the work of the missionaries that our church supports. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, please stand once more and take your hymn books and let's turn to number 423 together. I need thee every hour. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4:19. We'll sing first, fourth, and fifth again on this hymn as well. One, four, and five. I need thee every hour, most precious Thank you, Blake, Amber, and Church. And I pray indeed that it is your heart's expression that you recognize your need for Christ every hour. And that certainly will apply to the message we will bring today, which is the danger of spiritual neglect, spiritual drift, as the author of Hebrews calls it in Hebrews chapter 2. And I invite you to turn there now, Hebrews chapter 2. The spiritual drift is essentially neglecting the gospel of Jesus Christ. This chapter begins with a warning. We're going to focus our attention on verses 1 through 4. Thus far in the book of Hebrews, the first chapter, as we've gone through it point by point, it, the emphasis was on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. But what immediately follows here in chapter 2 is a warning. And I've mentioned this before, the book of Hebrews reads like a sermon. And in a sermon, you typically will explain various points of doctrine and teaching. But along the way, there will be an exhortation that includes a warning. 
And that's really what you have here. In fact, that's what you have throughout the book of Hebrews. It follows the pattern of a sermon. You explain the doctrine and then give a word of exhortation or warning based on that teaching. These warnings that are given here and notably here in chapter 2, this first one, is based on the special revelation of Jesus Christ. It was very much emphasized in chapter 1. Notice in verse 2, In these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. So here is an emphasis on Jesus Christ. He has demonstrated there is no higher authority. No prophet spoke like Jesus. And the angelic beings, as great as they might be, they pale in comparison to Jesus Christ. There's no higher authority. There is nothing further to be revealed about God that hasn't been revealed through Jesus Christ. He is spoken by his Son in whom he is well pleased. And that very fact brings us to this first warning, which is listen. Listen to the word of God, specifically in Jesus Christ. There are, as I mentioned, five warnings that are most notable in the <coughs> book of Hebrews. Tom Constable described them this way in his commentary. This first one in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, most notably, it is dr a warning of drifting from the word of Jesus Christ. In chapter 3 and verse 7 through 4.13, you'll find another warning after teaching is given, another warning, a warning then of disbelieving this very word, Jesus Christ. The third warning comes in chapter 5, verse 11 through chapter 6 and verse 12, and they really emphasize the, the dullness of you, if you will, to hearing the word of Jesus Christ. A fourth warning will come in chapter 10, verse 19 through 39. And it emphasizes the idea of despising this word of Jesus Christ. And the final warning comes in the 12th chapter in 12, 14 through 29, simply defying the very word of Jesus Christ. So sprinkled throughout this sermon, if you will, are these emphatic warnings, and all of them relate to the very word of Jesus Christ. And so our attention today, then, is on this first warning, and that is neglecting. Drifting is the terminology here, drifting from the word. Let's read the text, chapter 2, and we'll begin at verse 1. It begins with, therefore. Again, that's based on all that has been said in chapter 1 about the supremacy of Christ. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, 
How shall we escape if we neglect such great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. For God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we have attentively opened your word to hear from Christ today. I pray that indeed we would pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we should also drift away from it. I pray in Christ's name, amen. This word of exhortation then, if you've noticed here in the text, it it begins with a a word of admonishment, if you will, to be attentive to what has just been said about Jesus Christ. And what has been said also throughout divine revelation about Jesus Christ, as specifically summarized in chapter 1. Second, then, in this verses 1 through 4, he'll give an argument as to why you need to pay attention If the fact that Jesus is speaking wouldn't be enough, but he does give an argument of why you should. And then finally, he mentions here the how this particular message was authenticated by God himself. We'll see what we can get through with that this morning with the time that remains. The first thing I want you to look at is the admonishment that is given based on what has been said. It says in verse 1 that we should pay much closer attention so that we don't, what, drift away. There are a number of commentaries that have a different approach to this first section, and much of the confusion sometimes comes about the fact you, you have the word we there. We must pay attention, verse 1, and then lest, and, and we have heard, and we drift away. So, so the question is then, then who is the we that's, that's mentioned here? Is this a warning to unbelievers that should be warned? Or is it a warning against believers, to believers that may be neglecting, forgetting this great salvation. Who, who is in focus here? And because of that, some folks have come up with different ideas in understanding this warning passage, and I would say also the rest of the warning passages that are in the book of Hebrews. I think some of the trouble comes from just not considering the context in which this warning passage and the remaining um, in in which it it sets. These are words of exhortation. The the whole book is. Chapter 13, 22 makes that clear. This is essentially a sermon. And the warnings then that are given should be based on the doctrine that is being presented, certainly in the immediate context in which they're given. They're based on and, and should be seen in, the, in that light. 
don't isolate that what is being communicated here and make it something different than what the author intended. He's preaching the supremacy of Christ here. You can notice in this first warning passage, he's talking about the glory and the greatness and the beauty of Christ. Emphatically, seven dogmatic statements made, seven cross-references to Old Testament given, great teaching on Christ. And then he says, pay close attention. Make that the focus of your thinking. And be warned. Be warned. The occasion, the audience in which this letter is written also helps us in our understanding of it. As I mentioned, this, if you can imagine, would be a first century church and mostly Jewish folks there that had a religious tradition and a background. But within that church, you would have a mixture of people some that were truly regenerate and some that were unregenerate. But all of them had somewhat of an interest in what was going on. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there and wouldn't participate. The apostle preaching here gives them a warning. I would say it applies to the entire congregation. Those that are confident in their faith should be duly warned anytime the word of God is preached. And those that are confused as well, those that have some sort of conflict going on should take heed to this warning. And even to those that might be confused about all of it, can you hear the warning of Christ? This is how we preach today. We can assume that certain people are committed to Christ and, and want to please Christ, and yet we don't know for sure. And so clear teaching is given with an exhortation, a warning, which is really an admonition. So by application then, this general warning that is given to all, hence the we, it will have a specific application to the unregenerate, to those without, those that are outside of the faith, those who are not truly born again, which, again, we, we don't have a way to put a physical measurement on it, and so, so we just preach, and we warn. To the unregenerate, if you're really unregenerate, and yet you, you're engaged in some sort of religious activity, you show up for sermons, so to speak, and you, you stay around to pay attention to some degree. But if you're really unregenerate, the warning given is this, that you will apostatize the faith. That is, you will walk away from the faith and you will reject it. To those that are truly regenerate, to those that are born again, this same warning would certainly apply. It'll apply that you are warned that you're forfeiting the blessings that are yours in salvation. Now, not the blessings just of the future, but the blessings even now. Fellowship with Christ even now. And a warning that you may be subject to spiritual discipline. 
the reason people walk away from the faith isn't that they no longer believe, really. It's that they never believed. They apostatize the faith. They, it looks like they're in the faith. They may affirm facts about the faith. They may be engaged in religious activities of the faith. And then the next thing you know, they've just denied the whole thing. I'll tell you, on the authority of God's word, why that happens. It isn't that they just changed their mind. They never had a renewed mind to start with. John will say it this way in 1 John 2.19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. 1 John 2, 19. That is why people apostatize the faith. So don't be confused about external activity, about words of affirmation, of activities that people engage in. That, that, that isn't what demonstrates that they're truly saved. And some very good people, from our perspective, good may walk away from the faith, and that is a scary thing. That is a very scary thing. Because they are walking away towards destruction and eternal damnation. No wonder here this great warning applies to the unregenerate who very well may apostatize the faith. It is also a warning against those that are regenerate, that are truly Christians, that are truly born again, it is a warning of neglecting this about Jesus Christ and not paying attention is that you will lose fellowship with him. Regard iniquity in your heart. You won't have your prayers answered. The prayer to pray is to confess your sin. You will be subject to spiritual di discipline if you are a son of God. In, in fact, in chapter 12 of Hebrews, in verse 6, it says that very thing, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You parents with little ones, you know exactly what that is, don't you? You just can't let them on their own They'll cause harm to themselves and to others. You, you, you need to direct them in the right way. You, you need to say no. And, and that is kindness and disciplining them towards those things that will help them in life. To have a, a life that, that flourishes. In the same way, spiritually here, the, the Lord will discipline those that are truly regenerate. He won't let you, quote-unquote, get away with it. There is a convicting work of the Holy Spirit in the heart of the believer that will not let them rest. And so the warning then would apply to the regenerate to pay closer attention because we don't want to be primarily out of fellowship with Jesus Christ. And it is painful to receive discipline to bring you back into the fold.
So what are we called to do? Note here in verse 1, it's clear, pay attention. And this message is for all. Whether you're a believer, an unbeliever, whether you're confident, and whether you're confused about any of it, if you're not sure, pay attention. Here I invite you to look at a text that explains this situation to some degree, particularly for those that are believers, in 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, I invite you to turn to. Pay attention then, unbeliever, so that you won't wind up as an apostate. Pay attention, believer, so that you will not be unfruitful. And here Peter picks up on that idea in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. For this very reason, he's talking about the faith, make every effort to supplement your faith with vir- virtue. And, and notice this active involvement in your life. Th- this parallels with this idea of paying attention. It's just not listen in the sense to hear words that are being spoken. The idea of paying attention is to be actively engaged in your spiritual growth. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge, self-control. And self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection and brotherly affection with love. Notice how this, this flows through. Here is active engagement in your spiritual life. Beloved, there are many who would hear, be involved in religious activities, and you're not actively Engaged. Notice the phraseology here in Second Peter. Make every effort. In Hebrews 2, pay attention. Same kind of idea. Be engaged. You say, well, I wish I had better self-control. I wish I really had a better knowledge. And that includes practical, in other words, not just informational only, but wisdom in how you walk. I, I wish I had... Uh, those aspects about me. I wish I was a more godly person. I wish I really had great brotherly affection towards one another. Make every effort. And he isn't certainly calling you to do this by the flesh for the regenerate. He's calling you to do it by the power of his spirit. But, But it is in the sense that you are actively participating in that process. And if you find yourself without any of these characteristics in, in your life, a real drive for virtue, a real drive for to, to know Christ and Him as life, maybe you're, you're on the apostate side. Examine yourself and see if you're really in the faith. Are these characteristics that you want to be a part of your life? Are you actually engaged in doing anything to have these manifested in your life? This is a matter of life and death, you understand. No wonder he he emphatically says, pay attention to this. Because how are you going to escape if you neglect such great salvation? Verse 8 in 2 Peter 1, these qualities 
are yours and increase and if these qualities are yours and are increasing notice the benefit then they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the argument to pay closer attention. Maybe ineffective in your own spiritual life and unfruitful in your life. The the, the fruitfulness, we we, we know the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, self-control, these kinds of things. It is what the Holy Spirit will produce in the life of the believer. But it doesn't happen by osmosis. You have to engage in it. And here is an admonition to to make every effort in Peter, as he would say it in Hebrews, pay close attention to these things so that you wouldn't be unfruitful, ineffective, and of no avail. Notice verse 9, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Same idea, different analogy, falling away or drifting away, it parallels. But it's the same idea. And notice here in this state of this warning, it is to, to then, by doing so, confirm your calling and election. That is, God's choice of you to be regenerate. This is one way you can examine it. You can examine your own heart. When he talks about practice, that is the characteristic of your life. It's not saying, do you do one thing wrong? Do you engage in some unvirtuous activity? It's that if you, if you really, by the Spirit, examined your life and you saw the pattern and the trajectory of, your, of what you're going, you're, you're going to then confirm that God is working in your life. And one of the reasons regenerate people who are truly born again struggle with their assurance of their salvation is because they aren't diligent. They don't make every effort. They don't pay attention. They just drift away. And then they become ineffective, if you will, in their own life. And then unfruitful. For those that would apostatize the faith, they don't make any effort. And they just wake up and recognize that none of this is part of them. It's a great warning that is given. Those that apostatize the faith, they were part of it, and then they walked away. You know, at one time they thought they were believers. They thought they were truly regenerate. Maybe they affirmed a confession of faith. Maybe they engaged in all kinds of religious activities. And then they walk away, and that's a very dangerous thing. Because they didn't examine themselves to see if they were in the faith to begin with. Just made the assumption that they were. Pay attention. 
make every effort. Be diligent. The believer who becomes unfruitful has a desire for fruitfulness. I've never met a truly born-again person, and if you have, tell me, <laughs> but maybe don't. But I've never met one who didn't really have a desire for godliness, for fruitfulness, a desire to be holy, a desire to be more like Christ. That, that is just a, the natural thing, and, and you want this to be a part of your life. Pay attention. Pay attention back to Hebrews 1, or 2, verse 1, shall I say. Hebrews 2, 1. I want you to note this text a little carefully, if you will, and see these two phrases, single words in Greek, but phrases here in English. We'll read it in English. Hebrews 2, 1. It says, pay attention, and then parallel that with drift away. The Greek word here for pay attention and for drift away, both of them are often used in a nautical setting, if you will. Not exclusively, but generally. Generally enough to make this connection of, which you could already in our language here, at least the second one, the idea of drifting away as like a, a, a boat that might drift away at sea. Pay attention, the, the word behind that phrase is a word that could be used to oftentimes to describe a boat. A boat that was moored or tied up to a dock. And why would you lash it down? Why would you tie it up so that it wouldn't what? Do the second thing that is drift away. Drift away primarily is, is looking at, and used in a nautical sense, of a vessel without some sort of proper steering. Right? Maybe the rudder's broke, and it's just out to sea, and it's just subject to the winds and the waves and going in any direction. It, it has no uh, direction that, that can be assigned to it. It's just drifting. These paint a... Memorable illustration, don't they? A good steward would be careful to make sure his boat is secured to some sort of mooring point. Some point of fixed security and certainty. A good steward, if even if they were out to sea, would be sure to have what? Some sort of anchor to their boat to keep it from drifting away. If they were moving about, it would have something sure that could direct its way, such as a rudder. And a hand would be carefully on it to make sure that it just didn't go off in an aimless direction. Makes a good analogy for a spiritual life and one that's memorable, isn't it? that you can hang on to by way of illustration. Your spiritual life is essentially the same. It doesn't matter how skilled you are, how experienced you are, how strong you are. You must constantly pay attention or you'll drift away to your own destruction. 
Paul uses this analogy with his protege, Timothy. And here, if you wish, I invite you to turn and look at that. That's 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy 1. He uses this nautical analogy as well, common in his communication to his protege, Timothy, who he calls his child, his son in the faith. In verse 18 of chapter 1 in 1 Timothy, he says, this, I, I, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. It wasn't his biological child, he's a spiritual child. He says, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you wage the good warfare, holding the faith and a good consciousness. Notice again, it's used different phraseology, but the idea of actively engaging in your spiritual life. Not passively, but in actively engaging. And he's warning this to his young protege, Timothy, who is regenerate. It's his son in the faith, if you will, but yet he's charging him to engage in spiritual warfare, to hold the faith, to, to hang on to it, to, to, to lash it, to tie it on, to anchor his soul, if you will. Having a good conscience. A conscience is, is that little voice that tells you inside your soul of what is right and wrong and it can be informed it can be informed and trained by the very truth of God and he's saying listen to to that because why what what, what is the problem but by rejecting this verse 19 <coughs> some have made and here's the imagery put here analogy the same way some have made shipwreck of their faith among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander who I've handed over to Satan so they may not learn to blaspheme he he sends them out of the fellowship of the church to be exposed to the destruction of Satan they shipwreck their faith MacArthur comments on this passage a good conscience he says Remember, that's that communication internally, your mind, if you will, that can be renewed by God's word. He says, a good conscience serves as the rudder that steers the believer through the rocks and reefs of sin and error. The false teachers ignored their consciences and the truth. And as a result, they suffered shipwreck of the Christian faith. The true doctrine of the gospel. This, this implies severe catastrophe. In this case, it doesn't imply the loss of salvation of a true believer, which we know they won't apostatize the faith. But it likely indicates the tragic loss that comes, that comes to the apostate. They had been in the church heard the gospel, rejected it in favor of false doctrine, defined in verse 3 through 7, he notes, apostasy is turning away from the gospel, having once known it. I would say it's a warning to, to all. And it's made very clear by those who actually walk away from the faith. 
It is a great warning, a warning that is consistent, and the imagery is like drifting out to see to spiritual destruction. Why? Because you're not tied down or secured to the truth to begin with, and through neglect, just drifting along. Back to Hebrews 1. What are you going to pay a close attention to so that you don't drift out to spiritual unfruitfulness or total rejection of the faith? Pay attention, notice verse 1 of Hebrews 2. Pay attention to what we have heard. This is the teaching. This is doctrine. And this is why we spend a lot of time teaching and explaining doctrine. That's what you need, that's what you need to pay close attention to. That, that is the source of our anchor, if you will. away. If you don't anchor your soul in Jesus Christ, you will drift away. And the imagery, I think, is really helpful to say drift away because this is what happens. It's unlikely that you're going to run away from the faith. It's more likely that it'll be a very very slow walk. Spiritual drift is often caused by simple neglect. One day after another after another and then your conscience is no longer pricked. It's been calloused and you don't care. And next thing you know you find yourself in the middle of nowhere, either in a state of ineffective unfruitfulness or in an an absolute apostasy of the faith. Spiritual neglect, and this is something for you to examine in your own heart. We we, we don't take a tally and measure and and, uh, request that you fill out some sort of spiritual evaluation form for us to to monitor your progress. I don't know what's in your heart. But as I thought about it, I can think about some real simple tests if I wanted to make sure that I was really anchored in Christ. And I think first and primary, I would examine my own prayer life. If you read through the Gospels, as we're doing, you're going to find Jesus Christ praying a lot in communication with the Father. And one of the first things that goes, particularly privately, is prayer. Oh, we might bring up a quick prayer when we're in some sort of little crisis, but I'm talking about consistent, regular prayer, where where you're constantly confessing your own inadequacies, your own sin your own failures, 
where you're, you're recognizing falling short and you're, and you're asking God to help you with that. Or even in the understanding of his truth, in the growing of grace, privately for sure, corporately as well, in the sense that, well, prayers are given and, and there's not a lot of attention given to them. Instead, you're thinking about something else. And, and I know our minds can wander because our minds think a lot faster than words can express. And this is why we're called to pay attention, to engage, to hear. And when corporate prayer is given, you know, in a public thing, pray alongside them. And, and it's okay to say verbally or silently, it doesn't matter, Amen or yes. Agree with what's being prayed. Join in the communion of prayer with one another. But I think it's a key thing to anchor your soul in Jesus Christ is to examine if that mooring line of prayer is secure with him. And I'm not going to mention them all. I'm just going to mention a couple that are in my mind of really foundational things. And the second one I would say would be biblical devotion is the what, what I would call it. And I use devotion in the sense of an idea of, of reading Scripture, meditating, that is thinking about it, going to the point where you, you actually even memorize some aspects of it, Certainly studying what it says, maybe even teaching it. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a formal class, but you're teaching it when you're engaging with others and, and you're explaining why you have a particular worldview that you do or why you practice the way you do. That's teaching or sharing it, if you will, with others. This is one of the foundational things that will keep you moored to the truth. is devotion to God's divine revelation, the scripture. That's why you'll find us reading a lot of scripture here. We, we make this foundational because it is. You read through the Psalm 119 as we're doing. It's just, it just repetitively going again and again, about that which is absolute truth, for which the world knows very, essentially, none of today. The third thing I would add to anchor your soul in Christ, not only prayer, biblical devotion, that is, see Christ in his word, but the third thing is through the fellowship with his saints. Hebrews 10.25, most of us are familiar with that. We'll get there eventually. T Hebrews 10.25, the preacher makes an admonition to the church and says this, don't neglect to meet together, as the habit of some is, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of dawning. He's, he's talking about the coming of Christ, the judgment, the end. And one of the things easy to spot in your own life about spiritual drift is what well, do you neglect to meet together with God's saints like I said people typically don't 
run away from the faith. They, they walk away from the faith. They don't, they don't speed away like some sort of speedboat that all of a sudden things change. No, it, it is something that happens gradual. And you don't see them around the fellowship anymore. Where, where have they been? Now, I know you go on vacation. You have things to do. Other things come up. That's fine. Uh, again, we're, we're, we're not um, going to measure your spiritual life by your attendance. But this is something to examine your own heart. Do, do I really want to be around God's word and God's people? You have to examine your own heart for that. Is that a priority in, in your life? And beloved, if it's not, you're gonna, I'm, I'm great warning here, you're going to drift away. You're going to drift away to your own demise and destruction. And finally, I would add one more here, too, that's notable. And again, this is an exhaustive list, just a few things I thought about in how we might be able to measure our spiritual drift, prayer, biblical devotion, our fellowship of the saints, and also, I would say, submit submission to godly counsel. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for the keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. What, what I mean by that is, you know, some people, when they, they, they have some things going on in their life or they're trying to make a decision about that, uh, th th they won't even seek counsel, godly counsel. They just make the decisions all on their own. They won't even um, say, well, what do you think about this? Somebody that has watch and care over their own over their souls someone who is charged by Christ to to care and sometimes they don't want to do that because they would rather have their sin because they know what the answer is going to be <laughs> they don't want to hear it they just want to be affirmed in their own direction and God has given great resources to his people to be secure in Christ. He, he, he's given you communion with him directly in prayer. You can go boldly to Christ directly. Y you can hear his word and, and pick it up at any time and, and have that part of your life to affect your conscience. That is how you think. You can be encouraged by one another by the saints within the communion of, of Christ's church and you can have godly leaders that will come alongside and will certainly pray and encourage you in your life so that you would not drift away. Pay attention. Why? Why is this so important to pay attention? Well, I think you know it's obvious. But to press it a little deeper here in verse 2 of chapter 2, he's going to make a strong argument, and we'll probably need to finish up on this point. 
verse 2 of, he, of Hebrews 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received the just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? That, that's why you have to pay attention. This is why I'm saying this is a matter of life and death. How are you going to escape? It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. That's what's coming, Hebrews 9, 27. The God of, who is absolutely right and just, he will judge sin. The judge of the earth will do right. And here, notice in verse 2, he's talking about this message that was declared by angels and comparing it to the message of the, the gospel, which you now know that is declared by the Son. And he's, he's going from the lesser to the greater. Well, what's the lesser? In the sense, in that sense, the message given by the angels is the law. And Paul called it in 2 Corinthians 3, a, a ministry of death carved in letters and stone. It's reliable, though, and there's nothing wrong with it. What is wrong is th of those to whom it was given. It points out what's wrong with us and affirms it by our condemnation. Let's note here in, in the text, every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. That's what he's saying. That's why this warning is so great. Because the law goes forward, given by angels, and you transgress it, you're, you're going to receive judgment. That's what's going to happen. This transgression, the idea of that is, is something that is willful, intentionally crossing the line, if you will. It is speaking of an active rebellion. God says this, you, you intentionally ignore it, you neglect it, and you disobey it. That's a transgression. The disobedience here, the word behind that, is, is really emphasizes more about just the neglect of it. Y you know it's there, but you just don't think about it. It's an act of omission, we might say. So both the, the act, willful, active, rebellion, as well as passive rebellion, all of it received judgment. scripture are clear about that we have a large portion of the scripture the old testament that page after page talks about judgment coming to those who disobey god's law now we like to post the ten commandments and that's a good thing i like the ten commandments but i have to confess to you um in a spiritual sense, I've never kept any of them. And if I were measured by them, I would find myself guilty. That's the point of the law. But in actuality and how it worked out under this economy of the Old Testament, when they were under the law, one of the things it, it demonstrated in point is that there is judgment coming. That, that was a, a, a law that was set up for a temporal economy that received immediate judgment within that community. 
What, what happened if you rejected the fact that there is only one God and you adopted an idea of polytheism, commandment one? You know what the, re you know what the penalty of that is? Exodus 22:20. 20, it's death. No pluralism here. Because guess what? If you reject God of who he is, you're going to receive eternal death. That's eternal damnation and destruction. Make a graven image. That is, come up with a, a God in your own mind and how you would think Jesus to be. Well, my Jesus would do this or that. Well, that your Jesus may do this or that, but he's not who he actually is. And a violation of the second commandment of making images of God in Deuteronomy 27.15 is death. Break the Sabbath. That was the ceremonial law that they had that is nullified by Christ in Colossians 2.16. We don't um, keep the Sabbath, but a lot of people think that they are. You know what happens if you break the Sabbath? You die. Stoned to death. I'll read you a passage. I have a, a few minutes. You can turn there if you want. You don't need to. I'll read it from you. It's the Old Testament. Numbers chapter 15. While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, verse 32, they found a man gathering sticks on a Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, verse 34. And they put him into custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. You have a hard penalty of not attending church. Look at there. It's going to be put to death. And all the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. That is, he would be removed and rejected from the community and the death penalty. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones, as the Lord had commanded. The, the, the law here dealt with temporal punishment in their community. It pictures and portrays eternal punishment. Judgment for breaking the law, beloved, was severe. In the Mosaic economy here, it served to restrain evil, although not perfectly, of course. But not because of the imperfections of the law, it's because of the people. It was used then to show that under the law, if you would measure your righteousness, you would find out that you stand condemned. You would need some sort of salvation from that penalty. Salvation, they would teach then, comes from the law giver, God. You would find refuge in him by him granting you mercy. 
not giving you the punishment that you deserve, giving you grace, a gift, by his loving kindness, by his patience, freely both then and now, which is now fully expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. They couldn't escape under that law. How are you going to escape under Christ? That's the point. We have so much more in this dispensation, if you will. We have the fullness of the light of the gospel that is made absolutely clear through the incarnation of Jesus Christ who lived among us, died on our behalf, and made propitiation for our sin. Remember that point that he made in Hebrews chapter 1 when he made propitiation for our sins? He sended on high and sat down. We have no excuse. No escape of judgment other than through this one, Jesus Christ. Judgment under the old covenant was certain, and they saw it. Can I tell you this, that judgment under the new is certain as well? And it is not a temporal judgment, it is eternal. Ignorance then was no excuse and ignorance now is no excuse. Ignorance, however, is, is even a lesser appeal. That's what he's making, uh, the argument in Hebrews about such a great salvation, why we have the full revelation of Jesus Christ. They didn't have this knowledge of Christ in full. They had signs and symbols and promises and prophecies that pointed to it. All of this has now been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And here the, uh, the author of Hebrews is pounding on his pulpit. How can you neglect such great salvation and expect to escape? They didn't escape anything. How are you going to escape Everything is clear now. Everything is known. I'll need to finish, and I'll finish with this. Go to Hebrews chapter 10, 28. He, he's going to pick up this argument again. This, is, this runs through the sermon. This isn't the last time he's going to touch on it. And the point is this, neglecting Jesus, this idea of spiritual drift, whether it's by a willful rebellion against him or a passive response, you're, you're not paying attention. Either one's a great evil and will result the same in spiritual drift and you won't escape. Listen to his argument in 10.28 of Hebrews. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidences of two or three witnesses. I read a little section of that. You go through your Old Testament reading, you're going to find it. There's no mercy for their judgment. They, they, they died, and they had this judgment. 
Now notice his argument, verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace? That's the predicament that we're in now. If you remember in Jesus' earthly ministry, he would pronounce woe on Chorazin, woe on Bethsaida. The, the mighty works that were done in you, these works by Jesus Christ, if this was done in, in, a, in a sense in Sodom and Gomorrah, they would have repented a long time ago. We, we look at these pagan nations and these wicked people. We have the fullness of the revelation of Jesus Christ right now. He has taken on human flesh. He's lived among us. He's, he's died. He's buried. He's risen. He's ascended on high. There's no excuse. Pay attention. Make that the priority of your life, lest you drift away. How much worse the punishment, it says here in verse 29. The imagery, and I, and I don't have time to expand on this, but... but uh, uh, there's a sense in which you will ha we will receive a greater judgment because of the greater knowledge of Jesus Christ. Degrees of punishment, if you will. Perhaps it's just the haunting idea of throughout eternity, I neglected so great a salvation. Re Revelation in that sense is progressive. We, we have so much more than they have. How could we fathom to neglect it and trample underfoot the Son of God? Ultimately, that's, what's, that's what is done by neglecting these things in your life. The spiritual drift isn't just about you and your circumstance. Ultimately, it's about Jesus Christ and what will you do with him. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we're thankful that indeed you have called us to come and to find our security and rest in Jesus Christ. You have made it clear and communicated it well. I pray, Father, for all of us that we would latch hold firmly to that truth and find ourselves secure in Christ. I pray by the power of the Spirit you will motivate each of us to continually examine that mooring line lest we find ourselves adrift with no escape. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Beloved, I'll give you a moment to respond to Christ in the way he has spoken to you. If you need to confess your sin, repent, and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I challenge you to do it. Do so even today. If you've neglected some uh, spiritual aspects in your life as security, again, take a moment, hear from Christ, and respond directly to him. Take a moment now.
Father, may we hear and heed the warning and certainly not neglect such a great salvation. But for those of us who have certainly received it, I pray that you would um, empower us and encourage us more and more as we see the day coming to find our trust and solace solely in you. I pray in Christ's name. in our hymnals 587 take time to be holy consecrate yourselves to be holy for I am the Lord your God To this end, I bless you in the name of the Lord, that the Lord may make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, that the name of the Lord Jesus be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and to our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever. Amen. Gracious Father, we also pray that as we go to the fellowship hall, Lord, that you would bless our time of fellowship together and bless the food to our bodies and all those who've taken the time to prepare it. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.